there this show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress the language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business Live and time-shifted from the Fairfield Underground, it's... Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Yeah, we screwed that up. Big time. (laughs) Yeah, we'll keep practicing that one. We're just trying to come up with our own little thing, our own little hook. Yeah. Our own little catchphrase. This is Rich Wilgus. And John Tellerico. And we are bloodthirsty and yet vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we make that work, but we do. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely bloodthirsty. And uh, it's that wine. It's the blood wine. Yes. It's a good one. Today, what do we got today? Today we're having a Columbia Crest Grand Estates Cabernet Sauvignon from the Columbia Valley. Funny. We didn't even realize this until we were already drinking it, but it's from Washington State. State of Washington, where a lot of my family lives. Yeah. I guess Washington's coming up with some decent wines. This one's pretty good. Yeah, I'm enjoying this. Yeah. So what's on the big, 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 big... News agenda today. Magnificent cube of whiteness. I don't even know what that yes. means. Oh, that's <laughs> our board giant... now? Yeah. It's a cube now. <laughs> yes, it's a three-dimensional whiteboard. Anyways, I was taking a look at the news. Um, uh, I think it was CNN. There was this teacher in Bennington, Vermont, who was uh, <laughs> accused of giving a liberal quiz. Wow. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just curious. What do you think about that? Um, check out this this news article. Uh, this teacher was was giving a quiz on vocabulary. Um, vocabulary. That's right. And decided that uh, they wanted to put some sentences together, you know, use this word in a sentence, or what's the most appropriate word in a sentence. And here's the sentence. It's kind of a good one. One example is, I wish Bush would, and here are the choices, be coherent, eschewed for once during a speech. But there are theories that his everyday diction Charms the below-average mind, hence ensuring him Republican votes. And what was the right answer? I think it was coherent. That's right. So he's getting all this flack, this teacher, um, for uh, putting together examples like that on a test. What do you think? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm just well, curious. you know, it's not like teachers don't have political opinions, you know? I, I, for example, tenured college professors tend to take more risks than other people because they're tenured and they can take more risks. But Noam Chomsky, a uh, linguistics professor from MIT, most he's most, well, he's very well known in the linguistic circles for uh, tying DNA to language and stuff like that. He uh, He's very famous in those circles, but... Perhaps where he's even more famous is for his political analysis. He does U.S. foreign policy analysis, U.S. foreign policy analysis. Try that again. Yes. And he, uh, I'll edit that out. Nobody will know. And he's written, you know, 20 books on this subject. Things like um, What America Really Wants. Um, oh, I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of some of the names. But he definitely has a political opinion. But I think it was arrived at after doing all this research and going, geez, there's too many of these things happening to overlook for this not to be true. It can't be coincidence at this point. Yeah, I certainly think that what high schools need is more free thinking. 
I mean, what we definitely need is teachers in high schools bringing up issues. And if the student disagrees or has an opinion or doesn't have an opinion, how about you talk about it? Well, free thought is definitely not encouraged in schools at all, at any level. Yeah. uh, Public or or private. And decision-making skills are another thing that's just not taught these days anymore. I mean, I look at some of my friends with children that are older than yours, kids that are high school age or young, you know, teenagers or whatever. And I, I witnessed one trying to make a choice once, like, should I buy the blue pants or the green pants or whatever? <laughs> whatever that choice was, it was an absolutely ridiculous Paper choice. Paper plastic. Yeah, it was, it was that simple of a choice, but nobody even taught these people how to do an analysis, you know, of how to make that choice. Well, is blue going to be better with the rest of all of your clothes or is green going to be better? I mean, there's a million reasons to choose, a million ways you can go about choosing what color you might want this article of clothing, but she didn't know how to approach the problem at all. No, I, I think it's great that this teacher is actually doing this because it, it provokes discussion. I hope it provokes discussion, you know. And Well, it has. I mean, yeah. it's on CNN.com. It's right well, here. It's, it's no, on this piece of paper. I'm hoping that it provokes discussion in the classroom, not necessarily, you know, on this podcast alone well, or this, on CNN. This brings up something that I've kind of wanted to talk about for a long time now, and I don't know how people are going to feel about me saying this, but George Bush is as dumb as a stump, right? I mean, the guy's language skills are like... I don't know, a fourth grader, maybe, maybe. Rich, come on, let's agree the past is over. Yeah, well, you misunderestimate me, so stop that. <laughs> Those are two direct quotes from, from the man. From our, our uh, imperious leader. And anybody who is defending him, considering all the lies that have been exposed in the media about him and our reasons for going to war, anybody who's defending him at this point is in denial. And denial leads to, what's the phrase I'm looking for? The Mediterranean? It does. <laughs> Sorry. But you know what I mean? I mean, anybody who is defending the guy and, and implying that he's perfect and that, you know, his reasons for doing what we have been doing foreign policy wise are still valid is just living in another world. Yeah, I mean, denial keep... leads to delusion. And yeah. there's a point at which you have to look at everything and go, wow, this guy is just evil and uh, stupid. I mean, it just can't be denied at that point. And if you are beyond denial, you're in delusion. And then, you know, then the guys with the white coats need to come over. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, if, if you're denying this stuff and you're constantly denying it, you have to ignore a lot of facts. You have to ignore a lot of realities. And after a while, you know, just like anything else, you know, one lie leads to another, leads to another. It just piles on. And after a while, you're going to be defending a huge mountain of lies. You can't do it. Yeah, and, But they'll continue to do that. Mm-hmm. The Bush defenders continue to, even now in this, this 11th hour where it's clear that all of his reasons for going to Iraq were just bullshit. Oh, I'm sorry. I swore. That's like the first official time we've sworn. Yes, this this show is rated PG. That's right. PG-13. And, and mind you, on the topic of swearing, we John and I don't make a habit of it, but occasionally it gets out. It's good therapy. Yeah, well, for me, I've had to censor myself because of the kids, but... Yeah, definitely. It, it feels good to swear every once every in a while. Every once in a while, you just got to say it. And, you know, we're not going to make a habit of it. But, you know, BS is BS. And sometimes I don't want to say BS. And I have to say bullshit. Cow dung. Cow dung. And uh, so we apologize to anyone we've offended. But, you know, you may, once every few months, you may hear something beyond darn, drat, or oddsbodikins. <laughs> oh, shucks. Come on. <laughs> Well, enough of that. But anyways, well, I, actually, I, I, have, a, I have another thought, though. Oh, good. I, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I don't know how I feel about the way he worded that. I mean, it is a dig. It's definitely a dig. And uh, a teacher and as a high school teacher, yeah, a, a yeah. high school teacher should ex- perhaps have expected to maybe, you know, face some flack when one of the more sure. children of one of the more right-wing um, 
families went home with the quiz and said, eh, you know, they were burning on Bush. Blah, blah. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's unfair to take a swipe at him because I think he can probably defend himself. And that's part of discussion. You know, that's part yeah. of the, the, the discussion we were talking about. Well, here's the other thing that I was thinking about this is, you know, this exam or this quiz, it, it made the kid sit up and, and look at what this question was saying and make him think about it. You know, there are so many times you take a quiz or take an exam when you're in school, especially in high school, where you just cannot relate at all to anything that's on these questions. You, you just look at them and say, oh, man, what's what's the answer that I memorized out of the book? Yeah, this this was timely. It had to yeah. do with. Um, it, it was English vocabulary yep. applied in a very timely sense, dealing with examples that he would know, the president of the United States. Yeah. And the other thing I liked about it is it, it blurred the borders between classes. That's another thing that, that always fried me is that oh, you're only allowed to talk about social studies in the social studies class. Exactly. You're only allowed to talk about vocabulary in the English class. How about you time together? Because the real world isn't so segregated. Well. Or <laughs> in, in. It just depends on where you're matter. living. Yeah. <laughs> subject well, yeah. matter, that is. There you go. So that's that. So what do we got? We got some music now? We do have some music. Cool. I like music. Got a tune from the Lascivious Biddies. That name rules. Of course, next to our name, Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, that's like the best name in the world. Yep. They're a uh, group of four women. Fabulous babes. Yeah. They call themselves Biddies, so I really can't do anything worse. Um, they're from New York City, or at least they're based out of New York City, and uh, I think they were discovered, uh, at least on the internet, uh, by Adam Curry, and he... The Podfather. The pod, yeah. We'll talk about him later. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, they. I guess they submitted some, some music to him, played it on his show, The Daily Source Code, and they've actually uh, become fairly famous, from what I understand. And they have a podcast. They do. It's called The Biddy Cast. I, I think everyone should check it out. It's pretty funny. Biddiesforever.com. <laughs> <laughs> Biddies number four ever dot com. Yes. And as always, we're going to have everything that we talk about in our show notes. So you can check out the link. You don't have to type it out. And John discovered these these fabulous babes long before I did. I've been listening to them a lot lately and they can really play. Um, yes. As we've mentioned in the past, when we played like Raining Jane music, you know, mm-hmm. women bands have been marketed to us as novelties you know and it's nice to see some women out there who are phenomenal songwriters great arrangers great players writing wicked cool music you know doing four-part harmonies yeah and and being able to play at the same i mean you know i can't sing and play at the same time for example i'm a guitarist for those of you who don't know and singing and playing for me has always been a very difficult thing <laughs> so they're, they're doing these complex four-part harmony arrangements and playing and they're just great so what's this one called this is the biddies doing betty from Missouri and she's feeling kind of bruised. She says, hey, 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 to the vendor at parking 81st. A good day, good day to the mailman as she passes and she sees the city glowing in the morning and she feels that she might burst. I know a wife named Betty who wears alligator boots. She stays out all night dancing and she likes to play the blues. She says hey to her ballet as she rolls in at 6 a.m. A good day, good day to her husband as he rolls his eyes. Getting up for work, putting on a smirk. Cause he knows that Betty City, it comes first. Betty likes to watch 
watch the city wake up as the sun glides through the sky. Baby likes to watch the city wake up, and she knows that she could lie here happy and free, and all that she could be. Baby likes to watch the city wake up, and the city says, hey, hey, hey. was some swinging jazz right there. Sure was. I encourage everyone to go to their site and buy a CD. The Biddies, the Lascivious Biddies, and they were saying Betty, not Biddy, by the way, right. for, for <laughs> anyone who was as confused as I was when I heard it the first time. Yeah. Great so. stuff. We love them. And actually, in my bizarre daydreaming fantasy life, getting them to do a gig up here in Syracuse would be something cool. That would be very cool. We're going to so, do our best. We're going to try to get them up here. So ladies, if you're listening, come to Syracuse. I can guarantee at least two people will be at the show. Maybe three. Maybe three. John, me, and... I'll bring my dog. Yeah, he'll bring his dog. Who you occasionally hear on the show if you listen very carefully. In fact, he may have spoken five or so minutes ago. Yeah, if, if Rich doesn't edit. I can do clever. Sometimes I can yeah. cleverly remove the dog without anybody hearing. I have a dog filter. <laughs> I was going to say this. I have a Waves dog filter. <laughs> Rich, what did you do on your Thanksgiving vacation? Vacation? What's that? <laughs> 
It's when you do everything that you normally do, but you don't have to go to work. Oh, well, Thanksgiving in general was uh, most of my family was out of town. So what I did this year was do something kind of like a lunch. I made my own sort of like Thanksgiving lunch, and then I went over to my brother Al's house for dinner, which really wasn't a dinner because there's rarely anything on their table that I can eat. Since Yeah, tofurkey. I, I used to have tofurkey, actually, but they use wheat binders and all of those uh-huh. soy replacement meat product things. Mm-hmm. So it's I usually can't have tofurkey. And I think the actual tofurkey product is stuffed with a, some sort of breaded stuffing now, too. Oh. So prior to knowing I was a celiac, I had tofurkey two or three years in a row, though. I made my own gravy. And, is it uh, any good? It's all right, you know. If you like turkey. Well, I don't know. Does I, it taste it, like turkey? I don't remember. It's like four years ago. Yeah, because that's the thing that I, I just... I don't like to do is try to get uh, meat substitutes that taste like meat. I prefer to have something that tastes like vegetables. Well, there well there are those who feel the other way though. There yeah. are some people who want meat substitutes that do taste like mm-hmm. meat. And I, I remember thinking it didn't quite taste like turkey. I mean, it's fine. You, I, you know, I made a good gluten free, uh, low fat gravy for it, and uh, it wasn't awful. You know, and I had a bunch of other vegetables to go with it. Uh, and during those years, but this year I just and what I did last year was I bought. A lot of like really unusual organic vegetables at uh, the mm-hmm. market, the organic market where I shop, and I just cooked a lot of vegetables and I made some pasta. And then, as I said, I went over to my brother Al's house and uh, chilled with them for a while. My my niece from Seattle was supposed to be in town, but she didn't make it, unfortunately. Oh wow, that kind of sucked. What was cool this year, though, was a girl that I worked with. Uh, I, I work with her name is Jen. She was telling me about this pie that she makes using a, a chopped nut crust that's bound together with like dates to stick it all together. And then she fills it with some sort of no bake, you know, she heats up some, mm-hmm. some makes some sort of sweet um, fruit filling with cornstarch and stuff, heats it up and then, you know, pours it into the crust and then it congeals and hardens or whatever word you want to use. And then you have a pie. So she made me a really slamming blueberry pie. Really good. Thanks, Jen. Yeah. I got to get the recipe for that crust because um, as we were talking earlier before the show, Pumpkin pie is one of my favorite things on the planet. I Me couple, too. I made a couple of those <laughs> things, and that would be cool. I'd like to make a pie that you could have. I'd love to have a pumpkin pie that I could have. In fact, I'm going to um, consult with the world's greatest gluten-free cook that I know, my friend Tanya, and we're going to come up with a pumpkin custard filling uh, recipe using almond milk, which is what mm-hmm. I use for a lot of baking, uh, egg yolks, since I'm not a vegan, I, I do bake with eggs, and... Um, what else? Oh, pumpkin. Pumpkin. You would use yeah. pumpkin in there, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to do that on my own as well. What did you do on this uh, Thanksgiving uh, holiday? I woke up at about 8 o'clock in the morning. Which is sleeping very late for you, isn't it? It is. Um, normally, I'm up at around 6 because of the, the work thing. and The work thing. Yeah. Uh, but I got up at 8 and started cooking and did not stop cooking until about 5 o'clock. What time did you eat? Uh, as soon as I finished cooking, I literally went from stove to table and started. Did eating. you do the thing here? Did you do a Thanksgiving thing here? Yeah, yeah. I just imagine you going to your parents or something. No, well, with the kids, it used to be for every single holiday we would be traveling, and we decided that you know for the major holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, we'll just have those days here. You know, we'll start traditions at my house. Did you have anybody over or was it just you and your nuclear family here? It was me and my nuclear family, my biohazardous family. <laughs> yes. and, and they really are. Yeah. No, it no, was it was just really. it was just the five of us. Um it's Well, great. just if I known that, I would have come over. Well, I wouldn't have had anything that you could have eaten. Well, there's that's not uh, uh unusual actually. Yeah, but you know what? If I knew that you weren't going to be 
necessarily planning anything or didn't have a family thing, I would have made sure I made stuff that was gluten-free or I would have tried. Well, it's not hard to make vegetables that are gluten-free, for example. You know what? I'll tell you everything I did make and you tell me what you could have eaten. Go ahead. Three pies. Which Can't have already, those. We already, we already talked already, about John's those. got some leftovers. He was eating them in front of me. I stabbed a knife right in his eye. <laughs> I made a, a big tray of stuffing, which I, I made with, um, well, vegetable stock and, and vegetables, celery, carrots, and Well, and next seasonings. time we can just do some gluten-free bread and, and you do it that way. And I can do it that way. Um, I did make, um, let's see, uh, vegetables. I made carrots. Uh, candied carrots. I mean, it goes without saying those. that I can have vegetables. Here's my issue, though. Um, my brother, Alan, for example, prior to me mentioning this to him, didn't it didn't even occur to him to do it this way. But I'll go to somebody's house, and they will have already loaded the vegetables up with butter. And since I have dairy issues, mm-hmm. I use uh, a butter substitute. And well, I used um, a lot of butter myself this year. Yeah. So, for example... I had to ask my brother, well, how about letting people put vegetables on their plate and putting the butter on afterwards? There's a concept. So, yep. yeah, even simple things like that can be an issue for me. Yeah. I also made a big, huge honking thing of uh, mashed potatoes, which I make with several kinds of potatoes. So it's usually pretty good. And um, what do you do? How do you prepare them? Um, I, I take, well, you peel the potatoes. Uh, I use uh, red potatoes and oh, and red potatoes, potatoes are my favorite. Yeah. I had a red potato on Thanksgiving Day. They're the bomb. I had yeah. a Japanese sweet potato too. Man, those things are great. When I make mashed potatoes, I usually mix the the red potatoes, like half and half red potatoes, and like russet potatoes or Yukon Gold. Boil those, and and I I went whole hog with you know the butter and so they're and, not vegetarian. <laughs> I didn't put like bacon fat on them. No, they're 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 ovo lacto. They're ovo lacto. Yeah, that's the one thing that I do on Thanksgiving is is we load up on a lot of the butter and cream products. I like potato. Now, call me weird. Color me crazy. But you know how I made my potato? Baked. I baked it. And then yep. you know what I did? Ate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I cut it in half, mushed it out on my plate with a fork, and then put some of my um, my fake gluten-free butter, which mm-hmm. is really good. You should try the stuff no, that I, I use. If, if you come over and I make mashed potatoes, I'll definitely use that instead. I usually don't make mashed potatoes this rich, but you know, once or twice a year, it's just fine. Leave me out of it. <laughs> uh, the other thing I made, the main course, which I made, and it's my traditional meal centerpiece, is uh, lasagna. Lasagna? Yep. I made, I made pasta too, gluten-free rice pasta. Yep, and I and you could have eaten that if I used gluten-free noodles. Yeah, and actually, there's a couple brands that cook up identically to, oh, yeah? in terms of texture and flavor, mm-hmm. identical to uh, uh, normal white flour pasta, semolina pasta, that kind of thing. There's yeah. a couple of good brands out there. Um, we can talk about that later. Energy, they make some great noodles and stuff like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give those a shot. Yeah, and I'm not going to, you know, twist my arm or break my shoulder, pat myself on the back, but I don't do any of the, you know, jarred sauces. I made my own sauce. So I had to spend a couple of hours doing that before I made the lasagna. Um, same thing with the pies. The only thing I didn't do is necessarily grow the pumpkin and chop it up myself. So I got canned pumpkin, but everything else I use, you know, natural ingredients. I didn't use like the condensed or sweetened condensed milk or anything, anything like that. You know, what's really funny about my life. Um, the only people in my life who've offered ever to make or have done, uh, to completion made me a gluten-free anything when I come to their house are my friends, not my family, which I find very ironic. My family has never gone out of of their way once to make anything for me, which is really weird. But I have some good friends who live in uh, Clinton, New York, who um, I had known for like four months. And once they offered to make me a gluten-free meal and I went over to their house and had a great time. Actually, his name is Matt. Uh, 
Perry. <laughs> For real. And his brother is Joe Perry, who's the, the guitarist from uh, Aerosmith. Wow, but they're an artistic family. They are, and uh, but those are their names. But he's uh, he's got a band called the Big Green, I think. They write a lot of uh, environmentally aware music. We oh, listen to some yeah, of their stuff. Right. You played some of their stuff. When you go to Italy next year or whatever it is that you're doing, I might have him as like guest veggie or something. You know, I might do a show with cool. him, which might be fun. They're really cool. But yeah, I mean, I have friends making me gluten-free things all the time. And uh, family doesn't, which is kind of weird, but I have a weird family. Well, I offered once, and you said, eh, don't. It's hard to do it. I did? Yeah, I think when? you discouraged me from doing that because you were, you were leery that I could pull it off or something. Well, it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It, it has to do with the fact that um, I know you could pull it off. You're a smart guy. I've seen your IQ results. But um, the, as we t- talked about before, gluten can hide in so many little places. Yeah. I was talking about like fried foods, for example. For me to go to a restaurant and have deep fried anything, even if it's not breaded, would be bad because they probably had already cooked some breaded right. products in the oil and the gluten would have leached out of the breading into the oil and then that would have leached into whatever I'm having. And a lot of people don't consider that gluten can come from many sources and um, they don't put any thought into that because why would that occur to you? You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that would take some pretty deep thinking and um, unless you live it like I do, uh, you might not consider that. I actually am making a trip to South America in uh, uh, next year, early next year. And these people are going to be cooking for me, you know, mm-hmm. and they've never cooked vegetarian in their life ever. And, uh, and they also have to consider the gluten-free option. And it's a, it's a big step to take to trust somebody you don't know that well to cook sure. for you when they don't know all of the angles, you know, all of the angles. <laughs> so, you know, and the, and the issue is, guess what? I get, if I eat some gluten, I get sick. And it's usually those ugly GI issues nobody likes to talk about. And then when I leave South America, I've got to be on a plane for five hours from right. the hop from uh, Bogota to uh, Miami or wherever I'm going. And having those ugly GI issues during that plane flight would be Torture. Yeah, it would be torture. So, I mean, I'm... I almost missed a flight because of that once. Yeah, and that would be no fun. So I plan on talking to them about that a little more, but uh, hopefully they'll do fine. I mean, certainly their heart's in the right place. Oh, well, that's great. It's great that they're even offering. Yeah, well, and it's going to be a fun trip, and it's too late. I've already booked the tickets. I can't back (laughs) down now. You know me and flying. Yeah. Oh, speaking of uh, frying things, though, uh, not flying. Speaking of frying things, yeah, that's another thing I made. I made some fried vegetables. I I did some uh, sweet potato chips. Oh, those are great. Oh, I love them. How did you fry them? Just in olive oil. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. And just took them out and sliced them thin, took them out, and a little bit of salt, and that was it. There's a restaurant in Utica that does the um, sliced, deep-fried Sweet potato. Uh, they don't make them like a French fry. They they make them circular, like a yeah, that's scalloped or something. Yeah, well, I did them like great. semi-circle, but yeah, they're, it's awesome. The kids like them too. So I know you didn't want to talk about this a lot, but you were talking about somebody at work who had said something to you about food preparation and Thanksgiving with respect to your being a vegetarian, and I kind of wanted you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there was. Um, it, it actually came up in discussion uh, because I was talking about some some time in the past when I had some in laws over and. and for uh, I think it was Thanksgiving, and we decided to instead of taking and making a huge mess and having to clean up afterwards, we were all working hard. We decided to uh, go out to dinner for Thanksgiving and for one year, you know, just for a change, and uh, have a great meal. So we went to an Italian restaurant, and we all had a, I thought a great time. I even invited a friend of mine who didn't have anywhere to go that year for for Thanksgiving. So we all had a great time. I thought we had a great meal. We all had excellent food. Then afterwards, um, I heard that 
you know, some people were a little bit dissatisfied because they didn't have the turkey, as if the turkey was the centerpiece of the meal. So I brought and this for a lot of people. It is. It, it is. Yeah. So I brought this up um, in discussion at work, and and I think that person sort of agreed that yeah, that if the turkey is sort of important because it's traditional and and um, and also it, it led into this other discussion about well, if you're having people over for dinner. Wouldn't you want to accommodate them? Wouldn't you want to say, well, if they're going to be expecting a, a traditional Thanksgiving dinner, wouldn't you want to make turkey for them? Wouldn't you do that? And I said, there's no way you're going to have me cooking a turkey in my house. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not something that I'm going to do. It's, it's a lot of work and it's, it's painful, you know, for me to even just look at the turkey. So, you know, I said, no, I'll, I'll put together a meal that everyone's going to enjoy, but you know, they're going to have to realize they're coming to someone else's house. And, and if they don't, want to come to my house for, for Thanksgiving because I'm not making turkey, that's their choice, too. But it's been your tradition, for example, and a lot of Italian people, to not have turkey anyway. My, well, my family has always had turkey, but we've always had so many other things. But yeah. lasagna yeah. Is, is often a, a, a centerpiece of an Italian household's Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, you actually introduced me to that concept. And that that I made as my centerpiece because I just did without the turkey. So Well, and I, I have something to say about that because... Go ahead. I think it's a little arrogant, actually. I'm, I'm actually a little... I've got some anger issues about that, John. Well, maybe I should, you know, put some armor on. Wait, not you. Not your, not from your perspective. But, you know, for someone to say that because meat eaters are coming to your house, a vegetarian's house, that you have to make turkey, to me, just shows a little bit of arrogance, I think. I mean, you know, how about the fact that you just... You've been invited over. You're going to get a great, nutritious, delicious meal. And isn't that enough? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I I disagreed on a couple of points. Um, I'm not one to to you know fight too too vigorously, but I disagreed on a couple of points. One being that first off, the holiday is not about turkey. You know, the holiday is about giving thanks for what you have, not for what you want. And for all the Native Americans and that were that killed too. and murdered through <laughs> you, know. Uh, you know imperialism. Well, I'm a little the... bit of an idealist. I don't think it's about that, but <laughs> I think that that's just a side effect. But anyways, yeah, so it's it's not about the turkey. The turkey is not the reason for everyone getting together. Well, and as a celiac, a guy who can't have, you know, foods with gluten, um, how would it sound? I'm, like, probably the only celiac who's going to be sitting at any of these given mm-hmm. festivities. You know, known I, celiac. I'm prob- yeah, uh, I would probably be the only known celiac at a table. of an, uh, if, you, uh, if somebody has a celebration and there's 12 to 20 people there, I'm probably the only one. So how would it sound if I said, well, geez, you know... I can't believe I'm coming over to these people's houses and they didn't make everything with me in mind. They didn't make everything gluten-free. I mean, if I had said that aloud, somebody would look at me and go, well, who the hell do you think you are? You know, (laughs) the world doesn't revolve around you and the world doesn't revolve around meat eaters. So, I mean, there you go. Yeah. and, And, you know, not that Thanksgiving is celebrated all around the world, but we've said this before. Right, it's just a phrase. It's it's well, no. When I said the world doesn't revolve around you, I wasn't implying that the world celebrates Thanksgiving because my friends in South America had no idea what we were celebrating. (laughs) No, I wasn't reacting to that. I was I was Ah. I was saying that Thanksgiving is not celebrated all around the world, but right. Neither is the Fourth of July. But people have to realize, yes, it is. It's celebrated every year all around the world. It's just not a holiday. Right. People have to realize though that you know Turkey is not that big of a deal. You know, turkey, having turkey when you celebrate is not that big of a deal. There's a lot of other huge festive meals that you can have that don't have anything to do with turkey. And there's so many other great foods you can have also. I yeah. mean, there's so many delicious things out there. And as uh, I, our, our favorite listener from Canada had said, 
if people would stop trying to add flavor to their, their to their foods, they would find out it already has flavor, mm-hmm. you know. And there's so many good, delicious, wholesome, nutritious things people can eat that don't have to be turkey, which just give you that tryptophan sleeping uh, fit, you know. Maybe that's what I'll do is I'll, I'll give someone, you know, some some uh, textured vegetable protein and I'll slip them a NyQuil and they'll be all set. <laughs> Load it with tryptophan, <laughs> fake tryptophan. That'll that's work. That's right, yeah. No, but I, I, I'm still dumbfounded by that every once in a while when, when people just hit me with turkey is the center of the Thanksgiving holiday. So, Well, there you go. Well, gifts and, and receiving is the centerpiece of the Christmas holiday as well. So yes, we, it we'll is. talk about that in about four weeks. Yeah, gifts, shopping. Ugh. Commercialism. Yeah, and and I'll tell you about the the... I guess it would be the tradition that we've instituted in my household to get away from that. So, Oh, that's cool. Well, yep. we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Yep. So we got more tunes. It is the world's most rock and punk rock band called The Fiends. Quick brief history. A quick brief history. Of time. Uh-huh. I, uh, I've recorded these guys a couple times. I had the pleasure of working with these guys. Jerry Jones, their, their singer, has a deep, rich Elvis Costello-like baritone. And he's a big Costello fan, too. So yeah. he, you find those influences in their music. And we're only going to play you a couple of samples today. But these guys are great. They're called The Fiends. They're out of New Jersey. I think The Fiends with a Z, F-I-E-N-D-Z dot com is their website. And we're actually going to play something from one of their first records. It's actually their second record. The record is called Dreams, and these are two songs in a row. The first is called Intro, and it leads right into a song called Bring It All Back, and they're so close together, and I'm so used to hearing the tunes played together that we're playing them together here for you. So here we go. Back. I 
Those guys rock. Yeah, it's good stuff. I love the Fiends. That's actually going back to 1993. That's their second record. Their first record is recorded at a different studio by a different engineer producer, and it's a, it's a totally different sound. You know, uh, my friend Tim got a hold of these guys and started producing them, and saw the kind of talent that Jerry, their principal songwriter, lead singer, had, and really took them in some cool directions. And hopefully, um, we'll be able to play some more of their stuff in the future because they've got some great stuff. Yeah, is he still producing their stuff? Yeah, he is. They uh, they've got a new record coming out soon. There was supposed to be a rumored double double album set called Limousines and Hearses that uh, <laughs> hasn't come out yet, and I don't know if it's going to be renamed and released as two separate records. But these guys are are really a, a talent, and uh, it was so much fun working with these guys. They got a couple of uh, uh, I worked on one of the records called Cole, which we'll play something off of in the future. And there's just a, a, they got a ton of material. I mean, we could actually play two songs of theirs per show. Mm-hmm. And be good well, well, well into 2006. I mean, they've got seven records or something like that now. No, and they're, they're all really cool. But we'll play some more stuff from them. Yeah, well, you know, here's where I pet you on the back or you of your ilk. You know, you you got a, a good band and you hook them up with a great engineer or producer and you can do some really good stuff. You have a horrible engineer or producer and you, the talent doesn't come out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look and, at uh, Rick Rubin. Yeah. In uh, Johnny Cash, I mean that guy had no talent at all. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> hook him up with, with Rick Rubin, and he becomes famous. Yeah, it just it just comes right out. <laughs> and uh, a lot of this stuff was recorded locally too. Nothing on this particular record. This was uh, long before I had met them. Actually, I started working with them in working with them in the late nineties. Actually, and uh, at a local studio, we did a bunch of stuff for the record called Cole, which was named after a dog, a black lab. Cole, good name. C O L E. He was named after Cole Porter, but because Cole, C-O-A-L, is black, yeah. it sort of had the double meaning. So they have a record called Cole, and uh, we'll play some of that stuff. Actually, there's a song about that dog. Really? The very dog, because he died, and it was uh, it was very sad, and uh, they wrote a song for this dog, and uh, maybe we'll play that one. That's a, a classic pop-punk kind of anthem. Yeah, well, if Sam doesn't behave here, uh, we're going to be writing songs about his death. But he, we can't call him Cole, because he's like a yellow lab. That's right. So you had homework. Homework, yes. Uh, I had homework, and it was to watch the film Goodbye Lenin, German film. You gave it to me. I did. Lent. By Wolfgang Becker. Wolfgang. Wolfgang. German film, German language film, subtitled in English, obviously, because I don't speak German. Uh, I thought it was a really good film, um, and I thought the characters were great. And I and as we've talked about before, I think that the the way that he pays homage to uh, Kubrick to the entire film is pretty cool. There's a lot of Kubrick yeah. references in there. It's a it's very um, stylistic, and I think the the art direction in the film is great. Uh, the characters are great. 
The story is amazing to me. Uh, yeah. I'll just give you a brief uh, synopsis of what the story is. The story is um, a woman who has uh, children and was living in East Berlin, East Germany, before the wall fell. Um, she has uh, a heart attack watching, actually, well, I think the cause of the heart attack might have been watching her son being involved in a protest march right. for freedom and the ability to visit perhaps West Germany or the West. Yeah, because and, she was such a, a party member. Yeah, she was a staunch um, believer in the uh, the um, the East German ideal. And uh, her son had been um, protesting in a march, a peaceful march. It was it yeah. was peaceful until the, the Stasi, the East German police, came and <laughs> right. made it not peaceful. And ironically, that's one of the, the great pieces of this film is there's a there's a voiceover there's a, a narrative over the entire thing uh narration over the entire thing and the the main character said that it wasn't a protest it was a bunch of people going out for a, for a walk. walk yeah there's so many <laughs> wonderful comedic things like that you know but here's what happens she has a heart attack and goes into a coma and then the wall comes down and suddenly the east can visit the west and the west can visit the east and the doctor says geez you know she could have another heart attack she comes out of the coma miraculously and the doctor warns uh the alex character that's right played by daniel Bruhl, and his mom was played by katrina sas um she war uh, the doctor warns the alex character which alex like a clock clockwork orange, orange yeah. yeah one of the many kubrick kubrickian references Warns, uh, warns Alex that a lot of excitement can kill your mom, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, my God, the wall fell. She's not going to be able to accept this. But what an interesting idea. What an interesting conflict to base a movie around. A woman goes into a coma. The wall falls while she's in the coma. And then Alex has to recreate East Germany and the whole Eastern way of life for his mom. And he does this with fake newscasts. Mm-hmm. He and one of his good friends uh, create these fake East German newscasts. Um, one of his friends is a, a would-be filmmaker. Right. And um, he has a small studio with a lot of video editing gear and some cameras and some audio equipment. And they recreate these East German news broadcasts and play them for the mom. And it, it, I just thought it was a really cool conflict to base a movie around. You yeah. Know? Well, here's the thing, though. As much as everyone protests to Alex saying, you can't keep up this lie. You can't keep trying to fool your mom. You have to let her know. The facade. The facade. They all still play into it. And I think that they're all playing into it because back then it was a, a simpler way of life. You know, they didn't really have to think for themselves. They just went along with whatever they had to do. They went to the store. They picked up whatever they needed. They got <laughs> in line. Mocha gold. Mocha fix gold or, or... Pinto beans or whatever they were called. Or, yeah, some peas, some kind of peas. And... It was a, a definitely a, a simpler way of life for them. So, you know, it, it was almost nostalgic for them to do this, yet they were protesting. So I think it was a way for them to ease their transition from east to west. And and I think it helped everyone. I think the, the filmmaker enjoyed doing it because he got to, to, you know, do his film editing and play around with that. Um, Alex certainly wanted a simpler way of life. I think he, he more than anyone, wanted a simpler way of life um, because he was a little bit lost. Not unlike the Alex character in Clockwork Orange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think he was played very well, and I think he was played a lot like um, McDowell played uh, Alex in Clockwork Orange. Mm. He had that kind of wide-eyed optimism, um, didn't really want to live in the world the way the world was. So, I I don't know. I think it was... uh, I think the the movie could play right alongside Clockwork Orange with every single character. And at the end of the day, the film is just a very sweet film, 
and shows a really loving relationship between a son and a mother. And there's a lot of other things going on in the film as well. The the history of the father and he had left East Germany and, and there's a variety of um, things that we don't learn until the middle of the film, which we won't spoil for you, I guess. But it's just a sweet film, and it's a great story told by a great filmmaker, I think. I mean, this oh, was yeah. an amazing piece of work. And I, I mentioned that book that made me see My Left Foot, A Thousand mm-hmm. Films You Have to See Before You Die. This was in right. there. And uh, the, the film that uh, was uh, the centerpiece of your homework last week, <laughs> I, homework. I'm not sure if it was in there or not. I'll need to look at that again. The film only went up to 2003, and I believe this film was a, a 2003 release. And uh, The Station Agent may have been a 2004 release, so... It certainly deserves to be in the book. Yeah, this this was a, a really good film. I'm, I'm not going to say it was one of the best films. I think The Station Agent, for me, touched a lot of nerves. Um, this one was enjoyable. I could probably watch it a couple more times. But um, I, I would probably, if, if we're going to use our carrot rating system, 9 out of 10? 11. 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10. I'm, I'm going to give it like a 9 out of 10. Well, right. that's a pretty pretty great rating. Yeah. For me, The Station Agent... Station Agent's a 10. I, for me, really? a 10. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think both of these films are 10s. Yeah. This film was... Uh, what I loved about this film was a little a little subplot in the film about the uh, East German astronaut, Sigmund Yen. Yeah. He becomes the father figure, right? I mean, the father is gone. Uh, Daniel Brühl's character's father is gone. Mm-hmm. And Sigmund Yen becomes the father figure. There's a photograph of him in the room. He right. likes the idea of going to space. And then there's a, a bit in the end where he runs into somebody who it's not clear whether it's the real Sigmund the end or not but actually works him into some of these fake east german news feeds that's right he becomes the president <laughs> he becomes the president of east germany yeah and and then it's declared that he opens the uh, opens uh, the wall from east to west and not uh, the variety of forces that cause that to happen but it's just a, a wonderful sweet film and i i think i would recommend it to anyone absolutely and if you yeah. don't like this film there's something wrong with you i mean i would really and, and you must that. be put into a gulag <laughs> that's right so I guess that's it. That's it. Well, you We're know what? Done. Uh, I don't have. Uh, we talked about this before. I don't have an assignment for uh, for you, but I think we have an assignment for both of us. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll do that, and we'll either get to it in the next show or two shows after that, depending on when we can both get to it. Yep. I just wanted to give a shout out to Kirsten. I think that's how she pronounces her name from the Potty Talk podcast, and that's P O D D Y. Little <laughs> little twist. She did a little twist on it. See what she did there? She got like potty and talk and put them together, and then she turned it around. Yeah, but it's not. Potty talk, like potty, like the toilet. It's potty, like podcast. She's very clever. She's very clever. I'd love to get her on the show, but uh, she's been listening to us a little bit, and she does uh, some very politically based podcasts out of her home in the desert. I don't quite remember whether it is Arizona <laughs> or something. But in a, in a she's bunker great. in the desert. And uh, who knows? Maybe she'll make a trip to New York and we can get her on the show. But hey, Kirsten, hope things are going well for you. Anyway, we're out of here. <laughs> Lexons mean end. And Mr. Miyagi died. Yeah, and by the way, check out our blog, www.bloodyveg.com, where you can see some pictures of Ralph Macchio as an old man. And uh, if you have any feedback, email it to feedback at bloodyveg.com. We take all kinds of feedback, audio feedback, video feedback, money, wine, sex. Fruitcakes. Fruitcake. No, no fruitcakes. I love fruitcake. They're like bricks, really. They should be used for home construction only. They're absolutely fabulous. You put them in the microwave for six or seven hours, they're wonderful. Yeah, they're great. Hit them with a sledgehammer, you might be able to knock a piece off of it to eat. But anyway, that's another one in, in the, the record books. Yeah. We had fun. We'll see you soon. And remember, 
You're listening to V.I.B. V.I.B.